Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I am your host, Doc G. With me is no one, listeners. No one. Girl, come on. That's right. Yeah. We're going into this show alone. You and me, the listeners. Mono E. Well, probably mono. Let's be honest. There's probably only one of you listening. But Sweet. whoever is out there listening, it's me and you guys. It's me and you because I got no co-host. So let's get to it. Huh? Yes. I wanted to talk about something starting off this show today. I was, uh, you know, thinking about the monologue. I was like, what am I going to talk about? Hmm. I came across an article that made me think of my adulthood. Word. I'm not talking about like in the physiological sense. I know I'm an adult. But I think you listeners would agree with me in societal terms. Yeah. Not so much. Right? Nope. I mean, let's be honest. Who wants to be an adult the way that society claims anyways? I'm not sure anybody. I don't want to be. Sounds really boring. That's a fact. Well, I became a little worried when I came across an article titled Interior Designer List the 10 Things You Shouldn't Have in Your Home After 30. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And let's, let's face it, listeners. I'm well past 30. I'm well past 30. So true. And after hearing that title, I was like, mm, I'm probably going to fail this quiz. Probably going to fail this test, you know? So I really, before I uh, even looked at the quiz, I was like, I'm going to guess I've got at least six of these things. I've got a passing grade of not being an adult by just what's in my house. That's a fact. How many think? How many do you think I have, listeners? How many? Say it out loud. What do you got? Hmm. I thought at least six. We're going to see. Let's jump into the list. Okay, here are the 10 things. Again, interior designer lists 10 things you shouldn't have in your home after 30. Okay, number one, a mattress that's older than 10 years old. Ew. Guess what? I do not have one of those. That's right. Chalk me up for being negative. Oh, for one right now. Wow. That's right. Now, if if this were like before 2015, I would. So I'm I'm creeping like right now. I got like a six year old mattress, and the one before I had when I when I bought the one for 2015, it was like 50 years old. Not an exaggeration. That thing Ew. was like an heirloom of my family's. So it was much, much older than me. But I no longer have that one. So take it off the list. Oh, for one. <laughs> Number two on this list of things you should not have. Inflatable furniture. Hmm. Chalk me up. Oh, for two. That is right. That's right. I do have an inflatable paddle board, but that's about it. Don't have inflatable furniture or dolls. Ew. So mark that one down as a win for me. There it is. Yes. Oh, for two. Number three. Now, this one, listeners will remember, stuffed animals on your bed. That's right. That's right, listeners. You guys know I own plenty of stuffed animals, but none of them 
are on my bed. So technically, I win, and they can suck it. That's right. That's right. Okay, so 043. Number four. Plastic cups, plates, or cutlery. Hmm. They got me on this one. Yes! They got me on this. That's basically all I drink out of. I have so many plastic cups, and that's pretty much all I use. I even have a plastic bottle shaped like a big old... What? So, I mean, I don't know if you can count that as two for me, but whatever it is, I definitely have this one. So there we go. One for four. They got me. They got me. Okay, okay. Number five. Old trophies. Luckily, listeners, I've basically never been successful at anything, so I don't have any trophies. Not a single one. So there we go. Yeah! One for five. I'm doing good. We're halfway through, and I only have one. I think we need to give it up a little bit for that. I'm sure, as as I was thinking and you were thinking, be honest, listeners, you were like, he's got at least, at least five. That's a fact. And guess what? One right now. One. Number six. Dream catchers. Word. I'm good on this one too. One for six. I don't have a dream catcher. Nope. I don't I don't think I've ever owned one. I tried to think about it. I don't remember. I think maybe my brother owned one once, but I never owned one. So that doesn't count. But I, I actually when I saw this and I was I found out that I was so low on things that 30 year over 30 year olds shouldn't have in their house, I was like, maybe I should get one. I'm having some weird effing dreams lately, so maybe just throw up a dream catcher, get get rid of a couple of those. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Maybe maybe I should have one. I don't know. Anyways, that's one for six, listeners. One for six. Number seven, paper floor lamps. Hmm. hmm. I I don't have any in the house. We sort of it, it, me in production. We've got one here in the studio. So true. It, it's sort of one. I don't know if you'd consider it a paper lamp. It's like fabric around it. Hmm. I don't know what actually counts. I'd need like that interior decorator to come in and analyze and be like, mm, oof. you know, give me a, a thumbs up, thumbs down. Is it a paper lamp? It could be. I don't know. We're going to say no, though, because I like uh, not uh, looking as a five-year-old by this, this test analyst. So we're going to say one for seven. I still don't have other than the plastic cups not on the list. There we go. Number eight. Anything galactic or galaxy related. Hmm. I win again. Nothing. Sweet. Nothing. Now, back in my first year of undergrad, listeners, I did have some glow-in-the-dark stars on my dorm ceiling, and they were awesome. But those didn't follow me past undergrad. So there you go. There you go. One for eight, guys. One for eight. Number nine, eh, it stuck with me a little bit. Number nine, cork boards. Hmm. Cork boards. I don't have any cork boards, but I mean, you know, this is when I was like, what, what if you have like a lot of notes? What if you're a busy person and you've got like a lot of things? I know there's technology out there, guys, but like, what if you write down a note or maybe like, let's say your, your 70 year old neighbor is like, hey, Here's how to feed my dog when I'm away uh, visiting my old friends. Word. And they give you a little note. And you want to keep that note just to make sure that you follow her directions exactly. You know? Yes. But, but that'd be perfect for a court board. 
but you're following this interior designer stupid uh, rules, and you're like, oh, I can't have a cork board. I'm too old for one. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Nope. I'm just saying. A cork board would be fine for, like, a mudroom, you know? Before you head out the door, you're like, oh, helpful tips that I pinned up on my cork board. So true. That's all I'm saying. I don't have one. So, again, one for nine. Suck it, interior designer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, listeners, number 10, shot glasses. Yeah. I don't have any of those. So, there you go. There you go. I I don't really know. Like, I mean, I guess, like, a... a a ridiculous amount of shot glasses. Like, if you have, like, 30 of them, it's a little bit much. That seems like, you know, that that could go over. But, like, what you, if you have, like, four? Hmm. Is this guy saying you get thrown out of adulthood if you have four shot glasses? Wham. That seems like a, a, a bit much. Like, what if you're an adult alcoholic? Huh? Huh? What are you supposed to do then? I'm just saying. You should probably get help. But you're also probably going to have some, some shot glasses, right? I'm just saying. Anyways... That's the list, listeners. Who thought that I was just going to have one, one thing that I should not have in my house as an adult? I feel like, honestly, though, if that guy came to my house, he'd probably point out like 20 more things that I shouldn't have. He'd be like, oh, I didn't know you had that. That's a fact. I didn't even think that should be on the list. Though that was super obvious. Okay, and not that either. Yeah, take that away. Yeah, take that off. Burn that right now. You know, but... As his list stands, one for ten. I am officially an adult. I, well, no, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. I am an officially living in an adult environment. Yeah. Yeah, listeners. And as an adult on this show for you right now, let's fire it up. How about that? Let's lift, let, let's let's fire the show up. All three engines up and burning. Two, one. Zero and lift off. All right, guys. Pretty good show this uh, this week. I am excited about our guest. We have Tim Atlas on the show. That's right, Tim Atlas. If you're if you're thinking to yourself like, yeah, that name sounds familiar. Well, let me tell you something. He was on the show, The Voice. Say what? Yeah, that show. That's right with Gwen Stefani and Pharrell. All those folks. He was on there singing, singing. A off. That's what he was doing. Yeah. And now he's on our show. Way more popular than The Voice. That's not true. But he's on our show. He's got a new single, Courtside. He's got an upcoming EP. We're going to get him on the line. He's living in L.A. We're going to talk about L.A. I can't wait. Of course, I'm going to ask him my favorite question, listeners. I'm going to ask him, where should I eat in L.A.? We're going to get to the bottom of it. But first, we need to start where we start. Birthday suit. Happy birthday. Okay, listeners, this one's a little bit tricky. So I don't have a co-host guessing. So I'm just going to go through this whole clue, and then I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to, don't don't worry, I'm going to give you some time at the end for you to guess. Thank you. I'm going to give you a little bit of time. I'm going to give you like, I, I'm going to count you down five seconds. And if you don't know in five seconds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. This first one, I have confidence in everyone. Word. And, and by the way, as a listening group, as you, the listener... I believe uh, you're much better than Dave at guessing these. That's a fact. I'm guessing our our regular listeners, when you listen and you hear Dave trying to guess these, you're like, holy <laughs> How does a person not know that? So true. Because most of the time, that's what I'm thinking with Dave. So, you know, 
I'm guessing you're thinking that along with me. This first one, I am extremely confident. Yes! I am 100% there as a person out there that knows this person. So here we go. Born on June 16, 1971 in New York City. Our birthday suit wearer was the son of two Black Panthers. His mother relocated her family to Baltimore in 1984. While in high school, our birthday suit lover loved music, studying poetry, and dancing. He also won multiple rap competitions. Hmm. But when it came to the fine arts and literature, our birthday suit wearer did not discriminate. He read and listened to almost everything and was like a sponge. He would reuse these things, the literature, the art, all these things in his every day-to-day life. Our high school, our birthday suit wearer moved to the Bay Area after high school where he impressed the rap group Digital Underground and they gave him a role as a backup dancer. He eventually, uh, they eventually let him rap a verse on their song, Same Song. By 1992, he had enough momentum going that he released his own album. On his first album, I can't tell you the name because it give away who the person is. There were three singles from this album. If My Homie Calls, Trapped, and Brenda's Got a Baby. Hmm. The second album came out in 1993. The album had its smash hit, I Get Around, and Keep Your Head Up. The, the uh, album was certified platinum. In 1995, he released his album, Me Against the World, which had the lead single, Dear Mama. The album went triple platinum. And then in 1996, he released All Eyes on Me. It went 10 times platinum with the singles How Do You Want It, California Love, Gangster's Party, his final album, The Don Columinati, in 1996. That's right. Sadly, our birthday suit wearer was shot on September 7th, 1996 in Las Vegas. He passed away a couple days later. By many, he's considered the most influential and one of the best hip-hop artists of all time. He is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Hip-Hop Hall of Fame. Name that birthday suit wearer. Giving you five seconds, guys. Five seconds. you got to know this. I mean, the king of West Coast hip-hop. You know this dude. I mean, with the bandana, with the hockey jersey, with the Death Row Records emblem necklace, with the the nose ring. You know this guy. Tupac Shakur. That is correct. Yes. Give it up. Tupac. One of my favorite. One of my favorite hip-hop artists of all time. You don't even know, guys. So true. Being a being a 11-year-old walking around listening to keep your head up. Oh my gosh. Say what? I had so much trouble as a 11-year-old. <laughs> Not really. But gosh, man, did that guy rap with so much soul. He would he would he would bring you in with the soul of his voice. It's just so magnetic, that guy. And I'll be honest, we talked about it a little bit uh, a while back on the show. His the the most recent the most recent biopic pick about him. Not good, guys. Wait, what? Not good. I don't want I want to shoot down anybody's uh anybody's film, but eh, right? It was, it was just I felt like it was so poorly acted, man. 
Like I just I watched it and just the Tupac and himself. I was like, I mean, they didn't. They picked a guy that looked like him, but at the same time, I was just like, this isn't Tupac. Nope. I feel I feel like that he was up against a wall though, because if you're trying to act like Tupac, that guy is just too memorable. That's a fact. And there's videos of him. We talked about it on the show. Like when you've got that much video of a person, it's hard. To be, I mean, that's like, you got to give it up. Will Smith, when he was acting like Muhammad Ali and Ali, good job. It was fairly close, right? But uh, Tupac is hard. That's a hard guy to act like. And yeah, I got to say, it wasn't the best. But Tupac would have been 50 years old today. 50. There he is. Only, only made it to 25, sadly. Very sad. Very sad. Happy birthday to Tupac, though. Turning the big 5-0 if he were still alive. Happy birthday, Tupac. Go spend some Tupac for me right now. If you get a chance, I, I will accept it. You can stop listening to the show. Please don't. But if you must stop listening to the show, turn on some Tupac. Dear Mama, Gangsters Party, California Love, how do you want it? Oh, all so good. All so good. Anyways, guys, are you ready to rip some headlines? It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Let's do it. Listeners, I am sure at some point you saw that the Friends reunion came out. Right? I'm sure you saw that. I mean, you know, I'm sure no one really cares, but I'm just going to say. I, I feel like they should have took this reunion like 10 years before they did. Right? That's a fact. They released this Friends reunion in 2021, and the show ended like 2004. Hmm. Like, yeah, 17 years? It's a bit long for a reunion. It's like it's like Shaq deciding to come out of retirement in like eight years from now. Like in 2029, Shaq being like, you know what? I'm going to play basketball again. Eh, it's probably a little bit too late, Shaq. Maybe a little too late. Just saying, the Friends... Maybe 10 years, you know, like maybe a 2012 reunion. That would have been cool, right? Now, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit late. Anyways, that's not the reason I brought this up, guys. I saw an article. I was perusing different news articles, as I do, and I came across this story that took it upon itself to let everyone know that even though in the show Friends, Chandler and Monica, they are married, in real life, Matthew Perry and Courtney Cox... Brace yourselves. Are distantly related. <gasps> yeah. What? Yeah. What? That's right, guys. Distantly related. Now, guess at least one of those listeners out there, you guys are like, how distantly are we talking? Well, I'll tell you one listener. By distantly related, I mean, <laughs> brace yourselves, 11th cousins. Huh? Yeah. 11th. I didn't even know that existed. Eleven? Like, I thought by the time you got to eleven cousins, you could link at least, like, half the country together. Or at least, like, all of West Virginia. Like, come on, eleventh? But somebody honestly took the time to research this. That's so weird. That's a fact. Like, we all know that weirdo. We all have that friend that brings up the third cousin. But does anybody out there, do any of you listeners, actually know a person who can tell you their fourth cousin? Hmm. Like, come on. I can't even tell you who my second cousin is. And you're telling me they're... Who cares about 11th cousins? Like, I'm... 
I'm no genealogy expert, guys, but here's the thing. If if this is, you know, accurate, which I'm guessing it is about uh, Matthew Perry and Courtney Cox, that would mean that they have the same great, 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 great grandparent. Hmm. If you didn't catch that, I said 10 greats. Jeez. You've got to go back 10 generations. 10 generations to get to their 10th great-grandparent. And that's who's related. Like, wow. Seems a little extreme. Who took the time to do that? Just a little bit much. That's all I'm saying, listener. And I'll be honest, though, also, I started thinking about it, and I was like, what if I was dating a really, really hot lady who was awesome, but then all of a sudden somebody came up and was like, hey, I did some research, and uh, she's your 11th cousin. Wait, what? Gotta be honest. Still gross me out a little bit. Even though I just went on that whole tirade about it, I'd, I'd still be like, oh... Oh. Ew. So you're telling me there's some way we could link this together on paper? Oh, that doesn't look good. Yikes. Yikes. Listeners, since we're on the topic of incest, which obviously a great one to be on, am I right? <laughs> Let me continue. I've got a story about the royal family. Hmm. A family with a long, long, long history of incest. So true. Anywho, this story is about the queen in the middle of the incest pile, am I right? And you know the royal family, they've been getting some flack lately. It's been that whole fallout of Harry and Meghan and they doing what they want to do in L.A. and or well, California. But despite the chatter and despite the flack that the royal family gets from time to time, I've got to say, every now and then, despite all the pomp and circumstance, the queen, she can pull a funny move out or two. You know, every now and then she'll pull out something. And I'm like, oh, that's a fact. You, you 95 year old lady, you like. So the last week, the queen had a function. It was called the Eden Project. And this, this was part of a celebration and it was a lunch. And at the end of the lunch, there was a cake that was presented to the queen. And uh, when looking to cut the cake, the Lord Lieutenant of Cornwall handed her a ceremonial sword to cut it with. Word. Like, a, literally a sword. She's like, oh, I need to cut this cake. And the dude's like, here you are, madam, your ceremonial sword. And an aide to the queen jumped in and was like, uh, we have a regular knife. And she said, yeah, I know there is, but this is more unusual. Wait, what? And she just grabbed the, the sword and cut the cake. And I gotta say, she seemed pretty jazzed with herself about cutting the cake with the sword, you know? And everybody at the event was like, what in the going on here? And she's like, woo, going through this, baby. Yeah, right? I feel like the queen needs to throw more of these in there from day to day. Like, I feel like there's so many protocols and rules. And I mean, she's been following these things for 69 years. Jeez. It's got to be sort of, you know, make you go crazy. Like, follow me, listeners. What if she did this? I'm just spitballing here. But, like, there's no protocol that says she can't flip off an employee of her staff. Nope. So, like, one day when the press is all there and they're having, like, tea, maybe, maybe even before she does this, go to the employee first. And she's like, hey, 
here's here's what's going to happen. The press is going to get here. You're going to put down my tea, and you're going to be like anything else, madam. And I'm going to be like, oh, I don't think so. And you're going to start walking off. And then right before you leave, I'm going to be like, oh, hey, there is one thing. Boom. And I'm going to flip you off, and they're going to freak out. Don't worry. I'll give you a 1000 bucks, and I totally like you. Right? That would be hilarious. And you know how much the press would have a field day with that? So true. It would be like the queen flipped off one of her staff. It would be in every magazine, every newspaper. I'm just saying it would be fun. I think the queen needs to think about it. Just saying. Think about it. All right. Listeners, uh, there's there's a lot of places on the internet that people can make money these days. All right? There's a lot of places. That's a fact. But... I've been noticing a lot of those places, yeah, I feel like it's middleman work, you know? Hmm. It's just, you're the middleman. That's all you're doing. You're reselling stuff. You're directing people places. You're not the top dog, but you're making money. And this next story, it's middleman work. That's what it is. So this is a story from MSN Money about a 16-year-old that, quote, reportedly brought in $1.7 million reselling video games, outdoor heaters, and above-ground swimming pools at sky-high prices during the pandemic. End quote. Hmm. Yeah. So so this article raves about Max Hayden and what a, a great business acumen he has. First of all, one of the bullet points of the story is entrepreneurial Generation Zs are increasingly finding ways to make money online. Wait, what? I gotta be honest. I don't know if MSN knows this or not, but reselling isn't new. Nope. Sort of been going on forever. People resell stuff. That's been happening for thousands of years. So they're not finding new ways to make money. They're finding ways to make money. I'm just saying. Small point, important point. Second, this headline's deceiving. Like, I know you guys, you listeners, were like, oh man, $1.7 million this dude brought in. I'm reselling stuff. But this dude only brought in $110,000 of profit over a year. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, whoa, Ben, that's a huge income. And it is. But also, he employs two friends that it said in his article, $15 an hour. So you can take about at least $30,000 from that profit. So now he's making $80,000 a year on top of it that that job is time-consuming, thinkless, soul-sucking, unsatisfying job. That's a fact. Come on. I mean, in the story, it says he was devoting 40 hours a week. Hmm. But let's be honest, 40 hours a week, he's probably doing at least like 65 hours a week, emailing customers, trying to fix damages during shipping, wrapping up and shipping items. The article said he resold above ground pools, guys, above ground pools. You need a warehouse and forklifts for all that stuff. That's a fact. And lastly, I got to say. This article was going on and on about Max Hayden and being such entrepreneurial and being rich. You're you're not going to be rich doing this. Nope. Newsflash, everybody. You're not going to be rich 
doing this. You know who's going to get rich from people doing this? It's the people that own the sites. That's a fact. That you're selling that stuff on. Amazon, Facebook, StockX. Those folks are rich. You're making middleman money. So true. Old man alert, folks. Old man alert, listeners. Stop reselling pointless material. Learn something. Go to college and figure out how to be better than Amazon. Yeah. Better yet, figure out how to stop Amazon from taking over the world. Yeah. Huh? Instead of selling stuff like above-ground pools on Amazon. Ridiculous, listeners. Come on, ridiculous. Anyways, uh, next story here, listeners. Uh, I'm guessing most of you have gone on a trip at some point in time, and I feel like the hardest thing when you go on a trip is having to, like, assimilate back into regular life. Yes! You know? You get on that vacation time frame, right? Where where you just have this every day going about your day, uh, you know, with no schedule whatsoever on vacation. And then all of a sudden you got to come back to your regular daily routine. And you're like, oh, I don't feel like vacuuming. Nope. Oh, I don't feel like driving to work. Nope. Like all of those things are horrible, right? I feel like that's the hardest thing to do when you come back from a trip. Well, the couple in this next story had an even harder time assimilating back into regular life. Uh, and, and the reason, pretty simple, you'll see. After a weekend away, they returned home to find that someone had broken into their apartment. Wait, what? Slept in their bed. Ew. Wrote curse words on their mirror in toothpaste huh? and stole their two cats. Girl, come on! Stole <laughs> their two cats. So, the article says that Austin Schaefer was the man that broke in. And I love how they introduce in the article, they say, Austin, a quote, self-described homeless man, Wait, what? What does that mean? I mean, I describe myself as a homeless man on this show as a joke. But they got this information from the police. Are you telling me the police don't have the ability to tell whether he has a residence or not? Oh, you're a homeless man? Okay, we'll take that down. Don't have an ID or anything, do you? Yeah, we're not going to worry about it. We're just the police. It's no big deal. What? Come on. Then the article says that Austin told the police he went into the apartment to get out of the weather because he's homeless, and he heard the cats meowing and thought they were abandoned, and he was doing a good deed by taking the animals. Word. Austin, I can tell you right now, uh, if you're homeless, those cats don't want to be with you. That's a fact. Not at all. Cats tolerate humans because of shelter and food. If you don't have those two things, they don't want to be associated with you. A dog may go with you if you're homeless. Cat's not wasting its time. It's like, where's my food? Where are my recyclable cardboard boxes that I can play with for 30 minutes and then get tired of? That's what I want out of you. If you don't have those things, get away from me, right? Then, at the end of the article, it says, Witnesses told police that he broke in to the couple's apartment and trashed it as revenge. Hmm. I gotta be honest, I'm gonna need to know more about these witnesses. You're telling me that people saw Austin break in? That 
Austin told them he was breaking in and they didn't tell police? Like, doesn't that make you sort some sort of accomplice? If this guy's like, oh, hey, I'm breaking in. It's a bit of a revenge thing. Yeah, I'm uh, just going to break in here. Like, how did that even work? Police go to the neighbors and ask the neighbor, like, uh, was it Austin? Yeah, so he, I, I saw him, and he said he was going to break into their place, steal their cats, and uh, was going to wait in their closet and hack them to bits with a machete. Wait, what? I mean, I saw him break into the apartment, but where's the machete, you know? I didn't see it, so I was like, yeah, it'll probably work itself out. So I didn't call you guys. I hope that's okay. Like, what? Come on, guys. He told you that he was doing it for revenge, and you're like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It seems a little bit accomplice right? I mean, I'm just saying. I know accomplice isn't a word, but work with me, guys. Work with I'm by myself. Girl, come on. I'm by myself, guys. Come on. Anyways, listeners, we are going to take a break right now. We are going to hear from our guest, like I said, extremely excited, Tim Atlas, guys. Right now, this is one of his recent singles, Wallflower, right here on the Doc G Show.
And we are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, if you haven't done yourself a solid favor, make sure you go on, you follow us, or you subscribe to the show. That's a fact. You can do it on almost all podcast platforms. It's available. Trust me. It's out there if you want it. All right? And trust me, you want it. Nope. You can get it on Apple. You can get it on SoundCloud. You can get it on Tuner. You can get it on Verbal. You can get it on Podcast. You can get it anywhere. Anywhere is what I'm saying. Get out there and do yourself a favor and do me a favor. Subscribe to our podcast. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, guys. So let's go to our shout-outs. First out, off, shout-out to our new director, program director. Shout-out to Ash getting it done. Shout-out. Very excited to be working with her. Very excited to have her Spinnaker Radio family. (laughs) Doing it, right? There we go. Now, let's give a regular shout-out here to all of the folks listening. One breath, listeners. Here we go. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Gainesville, Florida, Radford, Virginia, Barcelona, Spain, Peoria, Illinois, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Katy, Texas, Winfield, West Virginia, Ashburn, Virginia, Phoenix, Arizona, Dublin, Ireland, Genoa, Italy, Boardman, Oregon, Brooklyn, New York, Columbus, Georgia, and Port of Vanuatu. Yes. There we go. Shout out to all the regular listeners. We appreciate it. Another good week of international listeners, so I want to give a shout-out to all the international listeners. Here we go. Shout-out to Korea, Spain, Australia, Madagascar, Indonesia, Ireland, Guam, Germany, Philippines, Poland, Vanuatu, Finland, South Africa, Belarus, Italy, Israel, Japan, and Slovenia. Boom. Boom. Man, I got a little tripped up there in between Madagascar and Indonesia. Don't know what happened there. A little bit of a, just a brain fart, guys. It's all right. I recovered. I recovered. It's this whole solo thing. It's tough. It's tough, listeners. It's tough. It's all right. I'll get through it. We'll get through it together. I told you. We're going on the adventure together. So true. Uh, Listeners, I had a couple of leftover stories that I wanted to jump in here with you. Uh, This, I think, may be my favorite of the week. So, listeners, um, (laughs) this is good. Uh, so you can buy, like I like I was saying, you can buy pretty much anything on the internet these days, as we know. Ask Max Hayden; he's reselling everything there. But I, I'm sure he he's not he's not selling what was going on in this next story. So the next story is about Claudia, a 44 year old woman in Pennsylvania. Uh, she was trying to buy a hitman to kill her husband on the internet. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that in itself, obviously, is ridiculous. Yes! But trust me, listeners, it is way more ridiculous than that. So first of all, uh, she wasn't actually talking to a hitman, of course, right? I think we've had like three stories on the show previously where uh, detectives pose as hitman 
uh, and people try to buy these hitmen, and uh, then they get arrested. That's a fact. And this was the exact case here uh, with Claudia. She was talking to a detective. So right now I'll pause and say uh, I think roughly 95% of hitmen online are detectives. So save yourself some time if you're planning on buying a hitman online and just turn yourself into authorities, right? Probably just do that. Anywho, she decided to hire this guy, and uh, the uh, fake hitman, the detective, told her it would be $4,000 to kill her husband, which, Jeez. you know, that's a, that's a deal. And the wife said, cool, but I've just got $100 right now. Huh? So how about I pay you $100 per week for 40 weeks? <laughs> She was trying an installment plan to murder her husband. Ah, you know, 4000 a little steep. How about no interest, no money down, $100 a month? How about that? Huh? Like a used car salesman. Ridiculous. Which, uh, I'll go ahead and make a claim to the audience right now. This is a bold claim, guys. Get ready for a bold claim. I will never... Work as a hitman. Thank you. There, I said it. I'm never going to work as a hitman. Uh, but, but, hypothetically, if I did, I'd need to be paid in full. I'm not going to take a job from a lady that's like, hey, uh, I'm going to pay you over 40 months. What? I'm a hitman. Give me money now. Should have been her tip-off number one that this guy was a detective. Anyways, she said, yeah, here's my money. And the detective, uh, of course, swooped in, and they arrested her. Now, when they were interrogating her, she told police, it's not, you know, funny, but it's a little weird. Uh, her husband, she told police her husband was abusing her family as well as cheating on her with, with several other women. Hmm. I mean, I know she's just calling her side of the story, but does she really think that the cops are going to be like, oh, oh, man, oh, cheating? Oh, geez. Well, yeah, okay. Hitman makes sense then. All right. Well, let's get you out of here then. You don't need to be in these handcuffs. He was, he was cheating, so. Validated Hitman. Get on out of here. Like, then she told, this, this, this probably my favorite part of the story, she told in law enforcement that she had tried to have a Hitman kill her husband before. Wait, what? But first attempt didn't work. Oh. What? Like, it's, I gotta be honest, Liz, it's probably a good thing that I'm not a police officer because, like, I just imagine in my head a Bugs Bunny cartoon where the first hitman, like, puts an anvil above the mailbox of this dude and him going out to the mail and nothing happening. And then the mailman coming up and, and then murdering the mailman, then be like, oh, yikes. Yikes. It's just, I mean, come on. You told the police you've already. <laughs> Tried to murder your husband. It's not, it's not good. Nope. It's not, it's not, doesn't look good for you at all. And then, I love in the news article, they interview Claudia's son. They interview Claudia's son. He's like, whoa, what? Literally says this, quote, it's not like that. I feel like she's getting framed. Family, we never do harm. What? What? Let's have a conversation with your dad because I, I feel like he might see it a little bit differently. He'd be like, what'd she do? Right? Can't go around hiring hitmen on the internet. Just saying. Probably not a good idea. Speaking 
of the internet, guys. Worldwide online scam has been traced back to a company in Canada. They have they have broke the case wide open. So apparently there's a marketing firm in Canada and it's at the center of this website scheme that scammed thousands of people out of hundreds of millions of dollars with the promise of free unlimited access to premium content that they didn't actually have. Hmm. Like, so they put ads on uh, when people searched, like when they Googled free movies or live sports or ebooks. And it was one of those goofy sign up pages. And it was for this fake, fake streaming service. And all users had to do, or so they thought, was provide their credit card information huh? to begin a free trial to all this great, all this great content. So, of course, after a five-day period, they charged them $49.95 every month until the person canceled this charge. And so, a couple things about this. First, wouldn't you find it a tad suspicious if company was claiming to give you free service and they ask you for a credit card? Hmm. I mean, sort of like a person asking you to fill out an anonymous survey and the first question is like, what's your name? What? Seems maybe not anonymous. Just saying, right? Two, I'm not I'm not uh, advertising for Hulu or Netflix, but both of them are like $10 a month. Is that really, really too much for these people? Like, that are trying to find free content? I mean, maybe instead of trolling around the internet for hours, uh, just find somewhere to cut $10 out of your, your monthly expenses and then get a real service, like Hulu or Netflix. I'm just saying. That's a fact. Might be a little bit easier. And then, then you don't have to backtrack and be like, yeah, hey, what happened? Been losing $50 out of my account for the last year. What's going on here? Oh, that scam that I signed up for. Right, right, right. All right, guys. Second birthday suit. Are you ready? I hope you are. Now, this one, pretty confident. Dave, if he was on the show, could have got. Uh, I'm positive with all the listeners of the show out there, there's somebody that knows this one, but I'm taking it down. It's not as high as Tupac. I'm only going to say this one. I am 80% confident there is a listener out there. Nah, we'll say 90. 90% confident there's a listener out there that can get it. So, born on June 16, 1970 in San Diego, a birthday suit where started out uh, going to golf courses when he was very young with his grandfather, who was a caddy at Pebble Beach. Hmm. Even though he was right-handed, he learned how to golf left-handed. He ended up uh, playing golf on a scholarship at Arizona State. He was extremely good. By some comparisons, he is the greatest college player uh, in history. Jeez. He won three individual NCAA championships and three Haskin Awards, basically like, you know, MVP of college golf. In 1991, he entered the Northern Telcon Open and won it, making him one of the very few amateurs that have ever won a tour event. The next year, he went pro. Over his 29, career, uh, 29 years as a pro, he has won 45 PGA Tour events, which is tied for eighth of all time. He's won three the Masters three times, the PGA Championship twice, and uh, th one of those times was this past month, which made him the oldest man to ever win the PGA Championship. Also, he's in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Name that birthday suit wearer.
Okay. Think about it. Think about it. who we're we talking about. Old Lefty here. Old Lefty is going to be turning fifty-two. Just or fifty-one. Just turned. Just won that championship. You know it. You know it. He's got weird dance moves in a commercial. Phil Mickelson. That is right. There we go. Philly boy. Man. All right. You know, now, obviously, uh, co-host Dave, obsessed with golf. So, like I said, he would have known this one. But the thing, I don't I don't really know that much about golf. And I, uh, I, I, yeah, I watch it from time to time. But I looked at this, and I saw this whole 145, and he's tied for eighth. And I was like, yeah, isn't like Tiger Woods tied for first? Hmm. What's, what's number one? I looked up, 82 tour wins for first. Ridiculous. Jeez. Ridiculous. He almost doubles number eight here. It's insane. Tied for first. But it's not it's not Tiger's Day. I don't want to take away from Phil. It's not it's not Tiger's Day. It's Phil's Day. He's turning fifty one. He's 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 in his prime for a fifty one year old. Amazing work that Phil is doing. Shout out to Phil Mickelson. Shout Have out. a great birthday, Phil. Yes, sir. We are going to be right back, listeners. Get excited. We have the one. We have the only. Timothy Atlas right here on the Doc G Show. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio. WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. The Doc G Show. Because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are super excited to have singer and songwriter Mr. Tim Atlas on the show. Tim, how's it going? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good, man. How are things in L.A. right now? Uh, sunny. Nice. You know, a little hot, mm-hmm. um, but things are starting to open back up, and um, yeah, it's like... LA is kind of coming back to life now. It's crazy. Yeah, there it is, man. And so no, not not too much June gloom going on right now. No. no that doesn't exist here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I've came sometimes in June and it was a little gloomy. What? I don't I don't want mm. I want to say it was just a little I was only there for like 4 days both times. So, but it was gloomy. I'm just saying. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an anomaly, man. I mean, <laughs> well, see, it's pretty I, crazy out here. I'm getting the reverse because the time that I went to Seattle, it was like the sunniest, nicest weather ever. That's a fact. And everybody I meet, I'll be like, oh my God, it was so nice in Seattle. And they're like, what Seattle did you go to? And I'm like, I don't know, but it was nice <laughs> when I was there. Uh, so I got to yeah. go back. I got to go back to LA, see the, see the real deal, see the nice weather. Um, yeah, man. Well, speaking of the everything opening up, have you started some tours, scheduling tours, scheduling shows? Um, so yeah, I actually just got off a call with my team right now. Um, nice. We are releasing an EP next month, and we're trying to figure out like how to celebrate that. Um, yeah. So for a while, we were talking about live streams and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. now that the world's like 
starting to open up again. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking at um, just like a couple like EP release shows in um, like a few bigger cities. So very still cool. in like the the early stages of, of planning, but just like the fact that we're having that conversation is already, you know, way more than what's happened in the last year. So for sure. So sort of strategic shows. Like let's let's make these count. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Well now I, I wanted to bring this to our listeners' attention. Uh I think the last tour that you did before the pandemic was with one of our favorite guests we've ever had on the show. The Magic City Hippies. Uh, oh, yes. Pat, John, and Rob. Uh, I feel like touring with the hippies has to be a pretty good time. Was it a good time? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I have so much love for those guys. Um, <laughs> they are, they're fantastic. Yeah. Now, I feel like, too, there has to be some kind of good story that goes with touring with mm. those guys. Some kind of wild or at least funny story. Do you have any funny stories from touring with the Magic City Hippies? Um, I do, I nice. do, but nice. um, they got. I, I can't. I can't spill the beans. They're kind of <laughs> <laughs> things that that uh, have to remain amongst okay. us. Okay. But <laughs> okay, it might it, it might make somebody look bad. Okay. All right. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, like, just look at the name Magic City Hippies and make your assumptions. And yes. It's, it's probably probably. They have true. They ha yeah, they have done some things. All you got to do is sort of cruise their Instagram and be like, these guys, these guys, they might get a little wild. They might get a little wild. Uh, uh, yeah, so they are a little wild, but I mean, it, they're also like really like nice guys, really yeah. responsible. Like they always uh, made sure we had enough time to sound check, and they just like took care of us on the road. So nice. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, they they are obviously they're. Like I said, they like to have a good time, but they also like everybody else to have a good time and make sure mm. everybody's taken care of. So the it's best. good stuff, man. Well, let, let's talk about your musical career. Uh, let's take the listeners back. You started, uh, like a lot of our guests have started, in band at school. And yeah. I heard you started out on drums, but you really wanted to play the saxophone because you just had one laying around your house. Your dad had one. Um, but you didn't get to play it uh, because yeah. it was actually broken and it cost a lot to repair. And now you play a bunch of instruments. I mean, you play the, the keyboard and you play the guitar. Did you ever get to realize your dream of jamming on the sax? <laughs> no, unfortunately uh. not. Um, yeah, I just resort to like MIDI instruments for saxophones or, you know, like get someone that is like way better at that stuff than I am. <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah. well, I mean, did you ever complain to your dad like, hey, man, you knew I wanted to play this sax and you never realized it was broken? Come on. Like, jeez. I mean, yeah. that seems like something he should have noticed. I know, right? I blame him. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, it was his old saxophone, actually, and like, so it was just like uh, stored away for years, collecting and, uh, dust. Yeah, collecting dust. Yeah. So, um, mm. but you know what? Like, I feel like if I kept playing the saxophone, uh, mm. the trajectory of my music career might have been drastically different in in a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't know too many. Uh, uh, pop uh, singers uh, of sorts that started on you'd probably be more jazzy maybe 
You'd be yeah, in, I, in the jazz realm or something. I don't know. Who knows? It'd be like Kenny G, man. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, did, uh, <laughs> there. Ooh, nice. Nap, <laughs> I, just rebrand yourself now, just for your yeah. r- regular career, Jimmy A. Uh, <laughs> have uh, now I've heard you talk about your family in general as far as like musical influences, and they didn't really play instruments themselves, but. I, I hear they did listen to a lot of music, and I always hear you talk about like your dad and sort of his side of the family, sort of really jamming on country. I mean, like I heard like Loretta Lynn and Johnny Cash, and all the mm-hmm. way up to Garth Brooks. Uh, oh yeah. Do you jam on country? Um, sometimes when I pick up the guitar, I play like Oki from Muskogee. Nice, <laughs> nice, Merle. Yeah, uh, we'll do some of that. Um, but a lot of the country that I heard growing up was when my dad was like singing karaoke. Mm. So he was doing like The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Oh. Um, or like Feed Jake. Do you know that one? Yeah. yeah now, <laughs> now, was that like, what, what's your favorite country song? Either like to hear on the karaoke or just real, just listening? Um. That's a that's a good question. Um, I've been listening to a lot of um, oh god, what's her name? She won like album of the year a few years ago. Casey Musgraves. Casey Musgraves. Nice. Um, yeah. I nice. mean, that's just like you just gotta respect the songwriting. You know, it's like totally not in my world, but yeah, um, she's she's good, like, man. She's real good. Yeah, like slow burn or mm-hmm. golden hour, all really. Mm-hmm. Good yeah, she, uh, I mean, I, I think she, too, like you said, it's not really in your wheelhouse. Like, she sort of keeps it pretty real deal country still. Like, I mean, she has some pop flair in it, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely I, I on the country side. I think that's what I love side. about her. Yeah. Like, it's, it's reminiscent of older country, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is. But uh, I, I give it up for her. Shout out to Casey, for sure. Shout Casey, out. if you want to come on the show, come on. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Uh, now... Even though, like you said, you, you you played the drums instead of the saxophone, um, but it, to me, it never seemed like you really developed into that full beats man that was just that rhythm guy that you always knew was the rhythm guy. Because it still seems like melody and lyrics are sort of what drives your songwriting. Would you say that's you know accurate? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, like my my roots are very much like in drums but while like the whole time i was playing drums i was a lot of the time i was just thinking about how am i going to write a song (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so um i think like i was i was more drawn to songwriting so um like i naturally started playing guitar yeah Um, but i think i'm just now kind of tapping more into kind of like my percussive tendencies um in my production so um it's cool to just like revisit some of that um yeah and yeah for sure for sure yeah because i know you know i know there are some more so i guess you'd say producers especially in the you know in the hip-hop game that are real just beat driven and you have some of those some of those people out there in the music world and it just seems like you hang more on the melody you hang more on the lyrics and uh totally yeah. Well, you you mentioned playing the guitar. It sounds like you really learned how to play the guitar fast. 
Like, I mean, you know, you're playing the drums and then you started playing the guitar in uh, high school. And I heard you say in like one interview, you were like, you like, <laughs> you're saying the songs that you were learning how to play and it like went from super easy at the start and then all of a sudden you're like, no, nah, it was like Eric Clapton and something. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Stepped up pretty pretty difficult, pretty fast. Were you playing, like, all the time? Yeah, I really was. I mean, like, I was just obsessed. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like my parents almost were concerned because all <laughs> I did um, <laughs> was, like, eat, sleep, and, like, play music. Nice. Um, yeah, and that, sound, that, that actually sounds cliche coming out of my mouth. But it was true. It was yeah. true. I was, I was really, like... Just obsessed with trying to get better. Um, it's so, yeah. not. It's not cliche if it's true, man. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just loved Eric Clapton. I mean, like, I didn't have a lot of like guitar heroes growing up, but yeah. um, Eric Clapton was a big one for me. Um, like John Mayer. You said um, you said that unplugged Eric Clapton, man. I, I I listen to that one on on the on the record table all the time. You got to oh, throw yes. that one on. The te oh, yes. Tears in he uh, Heaven and, and Layla on that one, just so good. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, man. The best. S sounds so good. Uh, well, so you ended up going to college, but like not for music. You got a degree in photography. Mm -hmm. Now, when you went to college, had you already decided that music was what you wanted to do and you just needed like a backup plan or were you thinking okay i'll be a full-time photographer and maybe i'll just do some gigs on the side yeah um when i went into college i think i did it because that was just like what you were supposed to do um mm -hmm. after high school mm -hmm. um and in college i got a job at um like a mall photo studio mm. um and so I was like, okay, well, I know how to do photography on like a more professional level. So maybe yeah. that's like something that, um, and I also didn't want to uh, feel like music was a job at the yeah. time. Um, so I decided that photography was probably the best route for me. Um, but it's funny because, um, you know, I don't use any of that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I do. I mean, I do like a lot of like graphic design, and like I use a lot of that knowledge. I guess. Um, when, when I was about to say you use like, you used you it in your stuff. like music videos recently, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I don't like actively practice photography every day. Like, I'm not on the street, uh, you know, taking pictures of people. But um, when my artist career uh, like calls for um, like those skills, like if I have to edit a video or if I have to do something DIY, like um, I kind of pull a lot of those, a lot of those <laughs> things out of my bag, which is nice. Yeah, which is nice. De definitely helpful. Definitely helpful. Um, with, with the background in photography, do you ever, do you ever get judgy about people's pictures on like Instagram? You ever like see them like, oh, lighting. Obviously, they no. don't know anything about shutter speed. Come on. Like, you none know, of that? <laughs> no, because, like, the cool thing is not to know anything about shutter speed. That's a fact. That's true. The, sh the sh photos are, the, you know, the cooler you are as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, do, you, do, you ever, do you ever, like, worry about yours? I guess not, since you're, since you're in that mindset. Like, do you ever worry that somebody's going to be like, didn't this guy get a... 
degree in photography? Isn't that what? Yeah, they did? you know what? I've like I've let go of a lot of those things. I might have like thought that maybe like years ago. Yeah. But um, at this point, you eh. know, I, I try I try not to take those things too seriously. Right. Right. Well, not you know, not calling out your pictures, but I noticed some that you seem to be a pretty big fa fan of plants. Oh yes. Took a pretty good amount of pictures of plants. How many plants would you guess you have, or do you know the exact number? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'd probably say around like fifty. Like mm, Fifty wow. plants in my in my one bedroom apartment. <laughs> that definitely takes some time to water, right there, man. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's um it's an obsession. I think that's just my personality. I just like. <laughs> I, I find something that I, that I like, and then I like unhealthily kind of like <laughs> take dive it to into the limit. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you do you get personal with your plants? Are you one of the people that like talks to them? Um, no, not no? really. <laughs> yeah. no. I hear, I hear the research. It, it helps them grow. Just yeah, I think it's because of like the humidity of your breath, maybe. I'm trying I've to think of like two how. two theories. Two theories. Okay. One uh, is that, and the other is something to do with the vibrations. So maybe oh. since you're playing music a lot in your in your apartment, that'll help them grow. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna shake them after we get off this <laughs> this call. Just a calm <laughs> shake. There you go, guys. Yeah. Uh, well, back to back to music. Back back from plants. Okay. Uh, you started out being in in bands. And and I heard you say like you were a band guy, like not like school band, like bands as far as being in a band before you actually got your own music going. And you had you had a cover band in high school, and then you got more serious with April yeah. Chase. Uh, but then I heard you talk about like the difficulty of keeping it up with all the members and being on the same page. And so you right. slowly started focusing on your solo work. Now that you've been doing the solo thing for eight years or so, would you ever see yourself going back to a band? Um, yeah, I actually think about that often. Nice, um, because there is like kind of a camaraderie about mm -hmm. you know in uh, embarking on kind of like a creative thing with with other people. Yeah, um, music is is such a collaborative art. You know, yeah. so even even if I'm doing solo stuff, I'm still working with like a bunch of different different people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I have like a few side projects that I'm thinking about starting up, and um, honestly, it's just fun to like jam with other other people. Yeah, it, it can suck you in too when you see uh, like like the Magic Hit City Hippies, for instance, and you're just like, yeah. oh, that looks like such a good time. Just the I know. just bros being bros, just <laughs> hanging out and, and jamming together, you know? It, yeah, it, it can it can rope you in. Uh, well, on your solo stuff, your first solo project, Lost in the Waiting, uh, 2013. You'd been like like you said you've been bands for a good while by the time you actually put that EP out there. How did it feel finally actually like having a piece of work that was just like yours when you put that out and that was it? Wow, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it was 8 years ago, so yeah, yeah, long time ago. Um, it felt good, man. Um, at that point, like I had like a Kickstarter for that record and, mm -hmm. um, it was fun to just kind of like dive in and, 
and kind of like assume my role as as a singer you know because yeah. like before that i was i was just playing guitar and, and drums and in bands so like um it was it was like artistically um stimulating just to like try something new you know yeah for sure um so yeah it was definitely like a bucket list thing that uh, very cool uh, that happened yeah well I, so one of the songs on there uh lila I, mm-hmm. I hear is about your niece, which yeah. she's got to be like ten now or something. Since we said the, you know it was eight years ago, uh, how's yeah. how's Lila doing? <laughs> well, she's a giant, a oh. giant kid now, man. Uh, all right, yeah, she's she's doing well, you know. Um, she's like playing baseball and man, um, and she's like uh, she has uh, little sisters as well. Like does she know that she has sisters. a song about her? Yeah, she does. She does. Does she tell people? Does she like brag about it? Like, well, there's a song written about me. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes she just like sings it to me. Nice. <laughs> there you go. And Which get, is funny. Getting feedback from the fans. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I mean, we need it. <laughs> well, now, not too long after you release the EP, I feel like you did something that. You know, I don't know a lot about you, but I feel like it's not sort of in your personality, at least it seems. You went on The Voice on yeah. uh, on TV. What what made you decide to go on The Voice? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely didn't, like, wake up one morning and be like, I want to be on a reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, they actually, like, um, have scouts that right. um, will reach out to a bunch of different people. Yeah. Um, and I was living in the Bay Area at the time, and they were like, hey, we're going to be in San Francisco. We'd mm-hmm. love for you to uh, come and, and try out for the show. And mm. um, yeah, it was, a, it was a weird part of my life because at that point I um, was like on the cusp of quitting my photography job. Yeah. And I really wanted to pursue music full time. Um, that's a launch right there that's a yeah 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 so um i just kind of kept advancing through through the uh kind of like preliminary stages before before you get on tv and um yeah it was an interesting uh chapter of my career but i think i grew a lot from it and i think after the show it kind of gave me the courage to come down to la and um just like do music as as hard as i could and yeah um, I, th- I think it you know i think it was it was necessary for me to get to where i was um nice. but it was it was difficult to kind of like shed that yeah shed that uh that persona <laughs> yeah you you don't want to be just hey that guy was on the voice guy yeah yeah exactly now what what would you say was the best thing about being on the voice was it just the the like kicking your full-time career into gear um i think the best thing was just meeting rihanna (laughs) (laughs) gwen stefani and pharrell um i mean like who gets that's all right uh, yeah yeah that's that's not so bad right just like who gets to like uh perform in front of like celebrities and they give you like direct feedback on on what you're doing you know it's pretty crazy it's gotta be nerve-wracking too oh yeah and that's something i didn't respond well to 
Yeah. Um, it's just like nerves all day, all night. And then you go to like the producers and they're just like, so I feel like last I'd be chance, a, man. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'd be exhausted after one of those too. Like after all that build up to it and then you perform and then finally it's all over. You're like, oh God, that was... That was yeah. intense. Like, I mean, especially when you got, like you said, Gwen Stefani and and Pharrell sitting there staring at you, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is yeah, this is a bit much. This is <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, man. That's exactly what it was like. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Well, did uh, like you said, you so you moved down to L.A. Uh, basically after you finished with the Voice, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, well, pretty good amount of time. Now, my listeners know where I'm probably going with this next question. They're okay. pretty trained by now. But yes! if I call you up and I'm like, Tim, I'm in the L.A. area. One night, mm-hmm. I need a place to eat. Where's mm. your go-to? It doesn't have to be necessarily like the best place to eat. But just sort of like your go-to, if you want to give me a maybe a feeling of L.A. or just like what your feeling of L.A. is, what's your favorite place that you would send me to? Okay. Um, that's a good question. That's a really mm-hmm. good question because there's, there's <laughs> so a many. lot of good food oh, out yeah. here. But oh, there's yeah. also kind of a lot of crap food that's just like hyped <laughs> up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I am on this like smash burger kick. Ooh, um, yeah. So there's this place in Highland Park called mm-hmm. Gold Burger. Gold Burger. I'm writing it down. Gold okay. Burger. Okay. Nice. Let me make sure that that's the name before. Oh, I forget. Okay. oh yes. <laughs> Gold Burger. Yeah. Okay. Solid. Um, and yeah, they just make a really good smash burger. Mmm. Um, yeah, so I would say any, go there. Just, do you just go regular, just regular like cheeseburger or regular burger? Yeah, cheeseburger. Um, you no know, frills. They, they, I like they keep it. it. They keep it simple. I um, like but it. But at the same time, you're in LA, so you're probably gonna want to get some Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So if it's not Gold Burger, then you just gotta find it, like one of these random taco <laughs> stands, taco trucks, because they're all good. I was about to say you can't really go wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. But I, I, I have not had Gold Burger. I'm gonna go to it. Uh, we nice. actually just like a couple weeks ago, uh, me and the co-host, we were ranking best burgers we've ever had, and so that's a fact. Have you ever been, have you ever been down to uh, San Diego? Had Hodads? Um, no. I haven't tried had it out. Dads. I'm try it try out. It out. Yes! Get get down to San Diego. Ho Dads was my number one on the list. It is. Love it. Oh man, it's good. It is good. But Gold Burger, I'm gonna I'm gonna rank it. I'm gonna rank it. Cool. Uh, now now that I've got my ace in the whole burger for L.A., let's let's get back to music. So okay. after the voice, you were you were sort of looking for like next steps, and you know I heard that you were like, all right, well yeah, I wanna. I want to try something. I want to get something, you know, new in my music. And you went back to your producer and friend, Jesse uh, Barrera, mm-hmm. and you were like, let's write some songs. And yeah. one of those songs that came out of there was Compromise, which, I mean, it seems like that song meant a lot for your career, sort of just in song creation, uh, popularity, a bunch of things. H- mm-hmm. How did that song differ from what you had been doing up to that point? That's a good question. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so the thing is like when we when we went into those writing sessions we made so like we made three or four like different songs that none of them sound sounded like each other yeah. um compromised was a song that i had started actually like prior to coming to that studio mm-hmm. um and we kind of reworked it from there Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, it, it started out as a throwaway because I didn't, I wasn't thinking about recording it or, or cutting it or anything like that. So, um, yeah, when I brought it to the studio, um, it, it was one of those songs that just kind of like developed really quickly. Um, and we kind of saw that it, it played to, um, both mine and Jesse's sensibilities just as musicians. Like it was everything we wanted uh like in a song you know it had Mm -hmm. like uh like interesting chords um you know like the drums are just like a drum machine pretty much the whole time yeah Uh, when we recorded it like we recorded the bass and the guitar just like completely live like from beginning to end yeah um so yeah it was just one of those things that was just like that was just magic you know it felt it felt um, spontaneous felt real felt yeah mm -hmm. yeah I like and it. at the at the end of it, we looked at each other. We were like, uh, "We can make like twenty songs like this, <laughs> like easy." <laughs> um, so yeah, um, before that song came out, I was like, "Wow, I really hope people like this one because um, this is this is what I want," you know? Out yeah. Of, out of my out of my solo career, so I'm glad they responded, man. And uh, yeah, uh, as I, well, I was about to say, I mean, you know, it it got millions and millions of streams. It still picks up streams constantly now. Like, do do you find yourself sitting back and trying to figure out what calls that magic? Like, that spontaneity, that stuff? Like, not necessarily recreating the song, but just sort of, like, recreating the environment. Like, what did we do? I think I tried doing that, like, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just decided that, like, that song was magic, but it's yeah. done. It's over. Yeah. Um, and it's time to move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like, I don't, I, I didn't want to keep creating in the shadow of that song. Yeah. Um, so like, I love the song. I still, I still love playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but artistically I've kind of just like moved on. Um, yeah. and like, I think about that song and I do think about like the magic that like went into that process and I'll take like bits and pieces here and there, but I'm definitely like more focused on, on the next thing. Yeah. I, I, it's one of those things. I feel like I would be so bad at that if I was creating music, like not it's a, trying it's a mental to redo it. battle yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as that, as soon as I hit like that with a song with those millions of streams, I'd be like, all right, so we're going to redo that exactly. Okay. Sounds <laughs> yeah. good. Let's try to, <laughs> And then every song, no matter what, would come out like that. And they'd be like, Ben, that sounds exactly like, what, really? It does? I don't know, guys. That sounds different. Come on. Uh, And look, it's getting millions of plays again. Yeah, come on. So you put your first album, All Talk, came out in 2018. And Mm -hmm. I noticed uh, Together Lonely, they came out... I mean, not really far apart. Like, it seems like that was like bam, bam, just r- back to back. Yeah. Was it, well, I mean, were the, the songs flowing at that point? Did you have like a back log of songs that you wanted to put on albums or were you just like 
feeling really creative during that period. Yeah, I mean, so the thing about like making a record is once that record is out, you're ready for the next one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like I was definitely writing a lot um, mm-hmm. and I had changed my process a little bit. Um, so like I was doing more on the production end and I was kind of like driving the driving the train as far as Together Lonely gotcha. um, was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was like a really cool part of my career, just kind of like taking the wheel and and, and running with it. Um, nice. So yeah. Nice. Now, now I noticed recently, uh, especially sort of during the the pandemic times, there you've done you've done a good amount of like collaborations and mm-hmm. uh, and remixes. So like yeah. Honey Whip and and Aaron Taus and uh, and Psycho. Um, was that was that intentional or like did something spur that or did you just have you always wanted to do that um so i actually always wanted to do a remix um nice so that was cool just like kind of serendipitous moments where like yeah um aaron is like a good friend of mine where he yeah. was just like hey man do you want to do a remix for me i was like yes nice. i do <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, throughout the pandemic, I think a lot of us were trying to find ways to, uh, like, co-write songs with each other. Um, yeah. We were all trying, like, new things, you know. Um, I'm sure you picked up a hobby or two in the beginning of quarantine. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were all kind of, like, doing Zoom sessions. And so, like, um, a lot of those collaborations are a result of just... Um, you know, trying to have like human interaction throughout um, the course of last year. For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean like super fun. Um, I love I love doing the collaborations and it's just like another extension of my artistry. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I I think that the remixes are really cool because it's, it's sort of like you said, like it's taking their idea and then just being like, all right, what do I see with this idea? Let's take totally. some... And I mean, you get some you get some really cool things about it. Yeah, very. Cool. I feel like the traditional uh, like remix is super EDM and like up tempo. Yeah. But a lot of remixes that are coming yeah. out now are just like complete, like different arrangements of the song. You know. Yeah. So um, exactly. Yeah. No, it's really fun, man. For sure. Well, well. So you mentioned it at the beginning of the interview that your the EP is getting ready to drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your most recent song, which just came out just a couple of weeks ago, Courtside, uh, is the last one you're going to put out there before the new EP. What can you tell us about this new EP? Um, the the EP is called Quota. Okay, um, all right. Five songs. Um, most, if not all, the songs are written like in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of, like, a well-rounded, um, like, representation of, of my sound. Um, nice. I, I like, I like to do, like, a lot of, like, R&B funk stuff, but I also like to yeah. do a lot of, like, indie pop stuff, so there's, yeah. a, like, a nice blend of both those things in there. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, no, and I'm just really excited to have it out in the world, um, but like I said, you know, like, 
I've also been cooking a lot of new stuff, so I'm excited to get yeah. this one out so I can get all <laughs> the stuff that I've been working on over the last couple of months out as well. So keep, yeah. keep it rolling. Yeah. yeah, lots of stuff in the pipeline, man. So I'm stoked. Now, did you did you uh, produce all of this EP yourself, or was this uh, with Jesse or somebody else? Um, I produced most of it myself. I'm trying to think of the songs. I did produce all of it, actually. Okay. Um, and I did have like a lot of really great collaborators um, that are like amazing producers in their own right. Um, yeah. We had like, you know, a lot of like drummers and keyboardists. And um, so it was like, I think on this record, I was more open to bringing more minds onto the record. Um, nice. And to, and to really kind of like have people put their stamp on it. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely like a team um, win for all of us. Very cool. And listeners, listeners can look for if they're lucky one of those one of those shows coming to them. Hopefully. Yes, sir. Uh, in their cities, fantastic. I, well, I got one request. Okay. Uh, Tim. Um, We've got all of our former guest vinyls on the wall here in the studio, and both of yours are sold out right now. Your albums, yeah. I can't, I can't find them <laughs> anywhere. Can we get, can we get a, a reissue of those? Are you, are you going to put them in stock anytime soon? Yes, absolutely. Fa um, fantastic. So, yeah, when we get those, I mean, we'll probably get some printed when we get back on the road. Yes. And uh, we'll make sure you guys get one in the studio. Oh no, d don't worry. We <laughs> always purchase our vinyls. There's right no, there's. Then. We got to make sure that the artist gets what's due to them for their art, for sure. Well, love Tim. I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Cool. Thank you so much for having me, man. Appreciate it. For sure. For sure. Listeners, you can check out all things Tim Atlas at www.timatlas.com, or you can follow him on Instagram at Timothy Atlas, or you can stream all of his music on Spotify or Apple. Right now, let's take a listen to Courtside right here on the Doc G Show.
and we are back here on the Doc G Show. Timothy Atlas right there. Give it up, guys. Yeah, man. Good talking to Timothy. That was fun. Timothy. Keep calling him Timothy. He shouldn't have put that as his Instagram name. I just want to call. I, I didn't actually ask him, but, you know, his, 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 his Instagram handle, Timothy Atlas. Everything else, Tim. Mm. I guess he was just being fancy, you know? I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what I'll also take? I'll take a couple of those Goldbergers. Yes. That's what I'll take. I checked out Goldbergers while we were jamming on courtside there. Ooh. Oh, man. Oh, get out of town, listeners. So true. For those folks, those folks, our San Diego listeners, and it's right up the road from you. I don't know if it's as good as Hodad's because I haven't had, but man, check out that menu. Sweet. Ooh. Woo. I am telling you, that is some good burger stuff right there. I will take a California classic. I will take that California classic with some curly fries, maybe a little garlic mustard aioli. Ooh. Ooh. And then for dinner or for a dessert, I'm going to have the chocolate chest slice. Oh, man, that looks like real deal food right there. Real deal comfort food right there. And I, I am all in on Goldberger. All in. I'm also all in on Tim's new uh, EP. You guys got to check it out. And, and while you're waiting for him to release it, you got to check out Courtside. You just heard it. Courtside, it's fantastic. Make sure you listen. Uh, anyways, guys. Uh, make sure that you check out all things Tim Atlas. Other than that, thanks, Tim, for being on the show. Can't wait until that vinyl comes out. We're going to put it on the wall. It's going to happen. For right now, listeners, we are going to move on to our next subject, our next segment, which is fastly becoming the most popular sub uh, segment on the show. And we have no way of judging that. I'm just saying it. I'm just spitballing here, guys. But it's the Doc G Top Three. That is right. Now, I am going to have to review this one on my own because, as we know, guys, I'm on my own. Girl, come on. It's not our. It, it, I'm fine. I'm fine. Nope. We are going to do the top three, I don't know how you want to say it, mascots, I guess, in professional sports. Mascots in professional sports. I, and I don't really want to say, I want to say, like, theme, overall theme of a team. Like, and this can be built on... Uh, history of that team, of just the idea of that mascot, just the overall, how much does it work? To you, what's the best just, oh yeah, that's real deal right there, you know? That's a real deal team. I feel the camaraderie. I want to be a part of that, like that kind of deal, okay? Okay, so here we go. My number three, best mascot slash theme in professional sports. Number three, put it on the list, of course. Somebody's got to guess it out there. Chicago Bulls. I can't help but put it on there, guys. I told you, you know, I'm a sucker for Michael Jordan. There's like 57 pictures of him up here in, in, in the studio. Of course, Michael Jordan's going to be on the list. It's going to be there, guys, uh, in some shape, form, or fashion. And the Bulls just, I mean, the Bull is pretty cool. Like, look at it. It's an intimidating bull. Now, granted, over the past, like, 10 years, yeah, really taking a hit as far as actually being a good team. But when they were rolling, when they were rolling in the 90s, and you had the Chicago Bull, you had the United Center, that was some intense, that was an intense theme. Coming in there, hearing that theme song. And now... Your starting lineup for the Chicago Bull. Like, come on. Come on. That's pretty awesome. 
That's pretty awesome. That's a good theme right there. So number three, Chicago Bulls. All right, number two on my list. This one, like, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of their team, but it's just cool. All right, everything about it is cool. And our first co-host of the show, Eric Cirillo, will be a huge fan that I put this up there. So true. Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, right? I'm not wrong on that one, guys. You got to know. That one's, that, one's, that one's good. That one's pretty awesome right there. I mean, the terrible towel, the black and yellow, like it all works. Like, I, I, I mean, honestly, like a Steeler's not the coolest, like actual, like mascot. Just the idea, though, steel being a hardcore iron city, just the iron curtain, like everything about them, it's just hard and rough and, and cold. It works for a defensive team. It's very cool thing. Yes. You got to give it up. It's pretty cool. Yes. I, I'm not really big on their like little honeybee uniforms. Nope. That they've been like the old school ones. But still, like the all blacks, yeah. Yeah, that's the all black uniforms. They come out with with that and they got they got just the terrible towels going. That's some intense stuff right there. That's cool. My number one best theme in professional sports, best slash mascot. Oakland Raiders, man. That's right. Oakland Raiders. I know there's somebody out there like, they're not the Oakland Raiders anymore. They're the Las Vegas. Yeah, I know they're the Las Vegas Raiders. That's a fact. But they're much cooler when they're Oakland Raiders. And I know there's some people like, uh, wouldn't they be cooler if they're Los Angeles? No, they wouldn't. They were the coolest when they were the Oakland Raiders. All right? They were the most intimidating when they're Oakland Raiders. Black and silver, can you get cooler than that? Nope. No, you can't get cooler than that. That's the answer. And through all the 70s and 80s, when they were just mean, ugly, playing at, like against the rules, just intense teams, yeah. They had John Madden as a coach. Say what? Can't get cooler than John Madden as a coach. Nope. And you got Al Davis as an owner. What? Man. I mean, you're pirates. You're ra- You're not even pirates. You're raiders. You're raiding people. You're coming into towns, raiding and hoarding their public. That is cool. That is intense, right? That is the best to me. Like, you can't get better than that black and silver. I mean, they're so... This is how cool the Raiders are. They're so cool that another team that were world champions, the Detroit Pistons, took their emblems and adopted them as their own. They were like, Detroit Pistons? That is not cool. You know what's cool? Oakland Raiders. Let's just act sort of like we're the Oakland Raiders. They started wearing Oakland Raiders stuff because they were the bad boys. And they knew the ultimate bad boys, the Oakland Raiders. So true. Like, you can't get cooler than that. Number one, Oakland Raiders. Doc G, top three. Best themes of mascots in professional sports. There we go. Chicago Bulls, Pittsburgh Steelers, Oakland Raiders. Listeners, I'm all ears, man. Tell me yours. Go ahead. Put it on social media. Put it out there into the world. Comment. I don't care if you comment on our on our SoundCloud. Do that. Yes. Whatever you want. Right there. Tell us your top three. We're into it. Guys, it is time. Are you ready for the next birthday suit or the last birthday suit? Now, this one, guys, <sighs> I had to dig deep on this one. I have to dig deep, so I'm not too confident, even though I know there's somebody out there. So I'm still going to give you uh, a half of a chance. I'm going to give you 60% of a chance because I know there's a listener out there that's a huge fan of this guy. You have to be. 
So, 60% chance. Here we go. Born in Seoul, Korea, June 16, 1972. Our birthday suit wearer moved to the United States in 1978. Hmm. It's mostly raised in L.A. Birthday suit wearer ended up going to Cal Berkeley where he studied English, but took all types of opportunities so he could act. After graduation, he ended up teaching English at Pacific Hills School in West Hollywood, but he's also acting at East West Players uh, in, in, in L.A. He landed a small but pivotal role in the movie American Pie. Literally, his credits for his character were titled Milf Guy Number 2. Wait, what? Character was revived in all three sequels of the movie. His next big break came when he was cast in 2004, uh, 2004's Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, where he played Harold. He also played in all the follow-up sequels to that movie as well. In 2009, he played in Star Trek. That's right. Biggest role of his career. Name that birthday suit where. Hmm. All right, check it off the list. You got... He's in Star Trek. He's in Harold and Kumar. He's in American Pie, small, but pivotal role in that. Who are we talking about? He's going to be turning 49, this guy. Who is it? John Cho. There we go. Man, John Cho. I had no idea that dude was 49 years old. He looks amazing for 49 years old. Looking real good for 49 years old. I mean, I was thinking about that. That means he was 32 when the first Harold and Kumar came out. Jeez. He looked like he was 20 in Harold and Kumar. Nice job, John. Looking amazing for 49. You get it, man. You get it. I like the first Harold Kumar. The second one, yeah, it's all right. After that, we don't need to talk about any of the other ones. They really went downhill from there. But happy birthday to John. Live it up on the 4-9. Listeners, we have some amazing shows coming up. I'm not joking when I say it. We've got some fantastic shows. Next week, we have the one and only Caleb from Colony House. Yeah. Yeah. They're well over a million listeners on Spotify. They've got some amazing tunes, and they are getting ready to head back on the road with their music, touring across the country. I can't wait to talk to them. It's going to be fantastic. But until then, guys, we made it. We did it. Me and you, listeners, we made it all the way through the show. Just us. Just us in production. That's it. Say what? That's it. I want to thank you guys for sticking with thank me. Thank you. I appreciate it. And until next week, guys, I'll tell you one thing to do. Zip it up and zip it out.